a visitor with us, welcome. So glad that you are here. Uh, thanks for being here. It's awesome to have you. Understand this, we give here as an expression of our faith and trust in God. We give because we understand that we cannot outgive uh, the author and creator of the universe. And so in the scriptures, he invites us to, uh, to test him here. It's the only place in the whole scriptures where he says, test me in this and see if I don't throw open the floodgates of heaven. And so we give out of an expression of just trust and faith, uh, but we never give out of compulsion or guilt or shame. So be free. Uh, and so I don't want to do that uh, to you. Before I pray for the communion, though, I have to say something uh, on behalf of me and Pastor Andrew uh, to our body, I want to just say thank you. Um, several weeks ago, uh, we gave, you guys gave. Now, listen, I, I'm going to say this. Uh, let me just say this because um, words matter, right? I was against this from the beginning uh, because I didn't, uh, I didn't comprehend, and I was wrong. Okay, so let me just start with that. I was wrong. And you guys gave for a pastor's appreciation offering and just blessed the socks off of us. That's what I just want to say. So I want to say thank you and commend you and respect you, and I am humbled and completely blessed, and Andrew is the same, and we just want to express our incredible gratitude, and I've never been a part of something like that that way before, and so I didn't get it, uh, but I get it, and you're awesome, so thank you, and I appreciate it, and we love you, and that's all I got to say about that. God, thanks so much for uh, blessing us so that we can be a blessing. I pray you take this gift, use it to advance your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Take a look at the screen. excited for us to get out of the series so we can stop watching that video, that stressful video. Yeah, we're, we're one more week away. And so, uh, so I will give you some breathing room from that video in just a moment. Um, I'm so glad that you guys are here and going on this journey with us through this series called Breathing Room. I mentioned last week how much feedback I had been getting uh, as we just talked about this incredibly important truth, not idea, not concept, but truth that God designed us to have some breathing room, to have some margin, to have some space. And, and we keep reflecting on this idea. He created Adam on the sixth day, and on the seventh day, he took it off. So one day into existence, Adam got to see God just breathe. He got to see this is the best way to experience creation. 
with some breathing room. And so, so we talked about how life is better with breathing room. We talked about how to manage our schedules last week and how to put the first and most important things in first. And, uh, and this week I am really, really excited because today we're going to talk about this truth that you all know, but we don't all live, our finances. Dun, 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 dun. Life is better with what? Margin, breathing room, yes. And so in order to, to dive into what could be for some of us a little bit tense because you're nervous about what I'm going to talk about, don't worry. I am not going to talk about this at all. I'm not. No pressure. We're not even going to talk about it. No, we're going to talk about it. I'm not going to talk about it. Instead, what I did is I brought out for you from retirement. <laughs> He's not retired. I keep teasing him about this. One uh, of my good friends, your founding pastor here at Celebration Center, someone who has such incredible experience in this area. <laughs> I didn't say positive experience, but credible experience in this area. So I asked if Pastor Chris Hansler would come and share with us this week. So would you help me give him a Celebration Center welcome? And Pastor Chris, would you come and bring the word this morning? So much. Here you go. I'm going to have to ask you never to do that again. <laughs> Thanks, Pastor Mike. And uh, yes, experience. I have experience in this. I'm glad you didn't say expert. Uh, an expert, you know, is, a, is someone who has made all the mistakes in a narrow field of study. And so maybe, an, maybe expert is right because I've made all the mistakes in this area. I'm excited to be here today and um, <clears throat> we're going to talk about money. So Mike, Mike, you know, said, hey, Chris, I'd love to have you on the schedule at some point to be able to speak to the congregation. I said, great, I'd love to be on the schedule. And so the time he decides to bring me back on the schedule is when we talk about money. That's sneaky. That is sneaky. So if you're visiting today, uh, I am uh, I'm not the regular speaker. So uh, don't judge your experience based on this morning. Make sure you come back next week. Uh, but we are really uh, glad to be here. I'm I'm uh, let me let me just. Let me just say this, that uh, this last year has been an interesting one for us. It was about a year ago that we handed in our resignation uh, to the Board of Elders for Celebration Center. And um, what we've been doing since that time is we have uh, been given our, my, I've been given my full attention to helping churches basically on the West Coast uh, or helping organizations and churches and individuals plant new churches. And I just want to say to you, thank you, because you are one of the supporters of, of us. You're one of the supporters of Pacific Planning Network, have been for quite some time. And um, because of what is happening in the Pacific Planning Network and because of your support, there are about a little over 2,300 people who meet in churches any given Sunday that didn't exist, churches that didn't exist just a short time ago, just a few years ago because of those new churches. New people are being reached for Jesus, and that's largely because of your investment and your support, and I'm so grateful. Last Thursday, I was in Oakland, and uh, there are four brand-new Hispanic churches being started in the Bay Area. And, uh, uh, for example, in Santa Rosa, about 30% of Santa Rosa is uh, Latino, and so uh, there's a brand-new Latino church being started there. New churches being started, people are being won to Jesus uh, through this, and so we're very excited. But our life is very different now, and um, I'm teaching a course on church planting down in, in uh, New Hope Christian College in Eugene, so we travel down there two or three times a, 
every two or three weeks uh, to teach that for a couple of days. And, and so uh, things are different. But <clears throat> I've got to tell you, I'm thrilled that when I'm home and then when, when we're here that I still get to be here. And um, I'm thrilled about uh, what God is doing in Celebration Center. Uh, when, when we resigned, the reason we resigned is because we believed it was time for Celebration Center to have a new leader. That's why. Uh, we believed it was time for a new leader who would lead Celebration Center into a new season of growth, uh, into new dimensions of what God has for this community. And uh, in God's perfect way, he brought in Pastor Mike and Christine and uh, we couldn't be more thrilled. And uh, we love to see what God is doing. And I'm so thankful and so proud of this church for the way you've rallied and hung in there while we went through the transition. And, and to see what God is doing, hear the enthusiasm, and to see the momentum that is happening. I'm just, we're just so grateful. We're so grateful. And I also am grateful uh, to see new faces. Some of you I don't know, and that's a good thing. That means God is uh, doing some new work here. So uh, I'd love to get to know you, but uh, it's love. I, I love, we love just being part of the church family. Uh, and I also am very grateful that Mike and Christine seem to be assimilating really well into the community. Um, they, they seem to be making some, you know, just connections here and their allegiances are good. In fact, I heard Mike say this just this last week. Listen closely. Man, I love the Hawks. But... Did you hear that? Did you hear what he said? That was last Last Sunday, wait a minute, last Sunday morning, play it again, play that again, one more time. Man, I love the Hawks. Man, I love the Hawks. So he's made the transition from a 49ers fan to a Hawks fan, which is really a wise choice, particularly this year. So um, one more time, can we hear that one more time? Just. Man, I love the Hawks. Beautiful. And a little music in the background. That's a beautiful thing. No, 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 no. All we heard is, man, I love the Hawks. So it's so good to be here. It's been an interesting week um, with the um, terrorist attack on on Paris and um, horrible, just horrible. We need to continue to pray for uh, God's work in this world. Um, You know, we started the week last week with Starbucks cupcake. Um, a fabricated non-controversy about Christmas, um, but uh, we're we're here today. Can I can I just pause? Can I make a little rant? Can I go off script here for a second, Mike? I already am off script, by the way. Um, you know, you got a clock here. That's new. That's new now. <laughs> you know what it means when a pastor looks at the clock? Absolutely nothing. Um, Uh, this this whole Starbucks thing, you know, this it was fabricated. It was it's not a real controversy. But I, I do want to say this about that. You know, I, I hear people talking about how we've kicked God out of our culture, how we're kicking God out of our schools, kicking God out of, you know, and we don't kicking, you know, we're we're, we're taking removing Christmas, removing Christ from Christmas. Let me let me just say this. God is not that small. <laughs> God is God is just not that small, and and God's people are not that weak. And God's people are not that insecure. Right? Isn't that true? And, and if we want to bring Christ, if we want to keep Christ in Christmas, if we want to keep God in our culture, God's plan to do that is that we be in our culture. 
because he's put the spirit of God inside of us. And so if you want to bring the Christmas spirit into Starbucks, you walk into Starbucks and you represent Christ where you go. If you want to bring the joy of Christmas into your workplace, then you be the joy of Christmas in your workplace. If you want to bring the peace of Christ, then you represent God's peace no matter where you go. God God can't be kicked out of our culture as long as you and I who, who, who carry the name of Christ, who have the power of God's spirit working in us, are in this culture. God will not be kicked out of culture. We are the ones who are meant to represent him in this culture. Right? Amen? So that's just my little rant. Um, we will not kick God out of this culture as long as we are doing what God has called us to do and be his representatives and his missionaries into the culture he's called us to. Today I'm talking about money. Um, I want to, uh, I want to, I'm going to play a quick little song. Is this live? Okay. Thank you. I wrote this song when I was about 13. And uh, I thought it would be fitting for what we're doing today. And, and you might, it's kind of moving. It's kind of an emotional song. Um, my brother's laughing at me. Uh, you might want to just close your eyes, kind of sway. Uh, you get the tissues ready. I, I really did right when I was 13 with my brother-in-law. It goes like this. Got to prepare myself. I love money. I love the color green. I want to buy everything that I have ever seen. I want to buy a big house and a purple limousine. And I'll lay around the house and count my bucks all day long. I told you it was emotional. I love money. I think it's mighty fine. Washington and Jefferson are always on my mind. Lots of legal tender is what I'd like to find. And I'll lay around the house and count my bucks all day long. I won't work. I'll just play and lay around the house and count my bucks all day. I told you, it's emotional. It's an emotional song. There's more to that song, but I'd spare you the rest of the verses. Uh, sometimes we get into this place where um, we lose our margins in our finances. Pastor Mike has uh, been here this whole series. I hate this series in the very best way because it's been very challenging for me. And this, I just want to just say up front, this is not an area where I am an expert at. God is teaching us and God needs to continue to do. We need to continue to learn from the Lord uh, in, in my own life from this. One of the things Pastor Mike has told us that margins are is the uh, space between your load and your limit. That's what margins are. He's talked about time, and he last week he talked about time, and he said time is limited, so you have to limit what you do with your time. Well, uh, today as we talk about money, we realize that money is also limited, but there's something a little different about money. You see, you can't borrow time. Right. But you can borrow money. And and um, so you don't have to limit what you do with your money. And, and these principles we talk about today will be really good principles for anybody here. But if you are a follower of Jesus, we have got to get this because 
uh, the scripture makes it clear that there is a direct relationship between our ability to follow Jesus and our willingness to get our financial house in order. He says in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Well, that's why two thirds of Jesus parable, about two thirds of Jesus parables have something to do with money. And, and the reason we need to get this is because Jesus wants us to live in freedom. Jesus wants us to walk in the freedom to live with it, with that breathing room in our lives. And and uh, sometimes what happens is we're not living in freedom because of our finances. I'll give you an example of that. There's a young man who is on one of our church planting teams and he's, he's part of the core initial core team. And he wants to be able to move into the city where they are starting this church. But he called me last this last week and he, he said, Pastor Chris, I'm not sure what to do here because I want to be able to move on site in location into that city where we're planting that church. But I can't. And the reason he can't is because previous decisions made with with credit and credit cards and and the debt that he's carrying has affected his credit rating so much that he's unable to go and get a place in this city that he lives. So he's trying to figure out how do I do this? Because the consequences of the debt load on his life that exceeded his limit are keeping him from doing the very thing that he believes God wants him to do. And that's what happens sometimes in our life. According to the latest census data, the average American uh, spends a dollar thirty one dollar and thirty three cents to every one dollar they earn. You hear that? The average uh, American spends a dollar thirty three for every dollar earned. Before the crash, the economic crash of two thousand and eight, that number was a dollar twenty two for every dollar they earn. So here's what happens: that since the crash, since the economic crash, when we learned, okay, we can't do this anymore, we're actually now spending more in accordance with how much we earned than we did prior to the crash. Because here the economy starts getting better and we think, I, got, I, got, I can spend again. And now you might say, well, no, it's because we're earning less. Okay, it, it may be true that we're earning less or we're underemployed, but the, the truth is we're still spending beyond our capacity. So not only do we not have margins, but we live as a regular practice in this upside-down margin. So it's no wonder why we're so stressed out about money. It's no wonder why finances are one of the biggest uh, uh, points of argument between couples and cause so much stress in marriages and families. Jesus is not a taker. Jesus is a giver. Jesus is a blesser. He is, he is wanting you to discover the freedom that he has for you. He loves you. But there's something that all of us need to get or, or at least something all of us need to remember. And it is this. That our standard of living is different than our quality of life. Sometimes we get those things confused. The standard of living is not the same thing as our quality of life. You can raise your standard of living with debt, but you raise your quality of life with discipline. And sometimes we, we want to maintain this quality or this standard of living. Uh, and your standard of living tends to be connected to your stuff, but your quality of life is connected to your soul. And despite what our culture tends to tell us, and it is counter to our culture, and in fact, some would say, This is Chris, you're frankly being un American to tell us to stop spending. But stuff does not equal satisfaction. There's a, new, there's a new country song out. Don't ask me why I know this. Um, uh, and, and one of the lines it says uh, in this song, it says, 
Well, I know what they say. Money can't buy everything. Maybe so, but it can buy me a boat. Right? See, he talks about, you know, they tell you money can't buy everything, but it can buy me a boat and it can buy me a truck. And, you know, and so we, we connect this this quality of life or our happiness or our satisfaction to the stuff that we own. And, and here's the thing. Creating margins in your finances may actually lower your standard of living, but it will raise your quality of life. And the big question is, are we willing to do that? Are we willing to actually lower the standard of living in order to raise the quality of life? And Luke chapter 16 is the place we're going to be this morning. In Luke 16, Jesus is telling a parable, and it is a, it's a very interesting, fascinating parable. Some parts of it are are perhaps difficult to, to understand or swallow at first glance. One of the things that we have to learn or we have to understand or we have to remember about just the principle, the literary principle of a parable is this, that, that when, when a parable is spoken, the intent of understanding that parable is that there's one central truth. Sometimes we try to break that parable down into all these kinds of pieces. But, but the, the purpose of a parable was to communicate one central truth. And Jesus gives this parable of the shrewd, uh, manager, some translations call him the dishonest manager, and the essence of it is this: he, he basically saying, "Listen, you got to be shrewd in your dealings with your finances. You got to be wise in your dealings with your finances." And he says at the end of that parable, he says, basically, the the people of this world are more shrewd in their dealing with finances than are the sons of God. You got to be you got to be more wise in how you deal with your finances. And and then he says this in Luke chapter sixteen and verses ten and eleven. He says this, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. So he starts with that. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. <clears throat> Sometimes we think, well, I don't have enough to be able to really do what I, what I believe God wants me to do. So I'll, as soon as I get a little more, then I'll start doing what God is asking of me. But, but this parable, or this, this, this scripture starts by saying whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. We got God wants to see. We got to see how are we doing with the little that we have. Maybe we don't have much. How are we doing with the little that we have? And then he goes on. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Listen, I would suggest that our problem with finances and our problem finding breathing room in finance in our finances and in our money management is not primarily a behavior issue. I think it has actually primarily starts with a belief issue. It starts with a faith issue. It's one of the things Pastor Mike has been talking about the last couple of weeks, that it has to start as a point of faith. That we can't operate out of fear. Uh, we have to start with a, with a belief that what God promises is true. And I think this is true about our, our money management. It's not primarily a behavior issue. It's a belief issue. Because if we don't get the why right, if we don't get the right motive behind what we're doing, then the what it will be wrong or it will not be lasting. So I think it's, it starts with a, with, with a behavior issue. And, and here's the problem, that, that sometimes we believe that what we have defines who we are. Now, we wouldn't say that out loud, but the way we live and the way we act and the things we do tend to reflect that, that we believe uh, what we have defines who we are. And so to maintain this external uh, appearance of success or that we're doing well or that we're making advances, we carry this internal load of stress uh, financial stress by buying beyond our means. The other belief problem is we don't really believe that God is our source 
Uh, we say that he's our source, but we don't live as though God is our source. We don't believe he'll truly supply our needs. So we don't give. So we, we don't tithe uh, because we can't see how adding that expense to our already currently overloaded financial picture could possibly allow us to maintain the standard of living that we are striving to maintain. See why Mike didn't want to preach this message. <laughs> Sometimes we have to rethink what we believe. What you have does not define who you are. We all believe that, don't we? I mean, we all believe that mentally. What we have does not define who we are. Your value is so much bigger than the sum of your stuff. The redeemed version of yourself is God's measure of who you are. That's how he sees you. He sees you through the cross of Christ. He sees you as the redeemed version of yourself, and he holds you in highest. He loves you. And he sees you in that way. And, and, and sometimes we, we define ourselves in such a lower way. And that's our security has got to come from how God sees us. Not in the car we drive, not in the home we have, not in the stuff we wear, not in any of that. That does not define who we are. And the, and the second thing we have to rethink about what we believe is this, that God is your source and God is your provider. He can be trusted. As Pastor Mike said, even in, at the beginning of the service, God can be trusted. He's made these promises to us. He's made these promises to us about our financial life and about him being our provider. And he can be trusted. We have to rethink that. God, do I really trust you in this area of my life? The scripture goes on in Luke 16 and verse 12 to say this. And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? If you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, here's another big significant belief issue. If you're a follower of Jesus, who owns what you have? Now, regardless of your, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, it's God who is the owner of everything. But, but if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've yielded your life to Christ, you call him the Lord. Who is the owner of everything you have? Right? God is. God is the owner of everything. And Psalm 24 one says, the earth is the Lord's. And everything in it, the world and all who live in it, the earth is Lord's and everything in it, that, that doesn't leave room for much else. God owns it all. That's why we call him the Lord. And we have to remember this, that we are stewards of what we have, that God has given us the privileges of being owners, which is a beautiful thing, but we are truly stewards of everything we have. What we have belongs to God. So let me, let me just make a couple of comparisons between stewards and owners. A steward recognizes whose it is, okay? A steward recognizes whose it is, that it, it belongs to God. An owner will say, that is mine. And you have, to, you have to consider as we put these up, where do you fall in this chart? How do you perceive the way you handle, not just what you believe or what you say you believe about finances, but actually how you manage, how you handle finances? A steward recognizes whose it is, and an owner says, it's mine. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, Paul says, what do you have that God hasn't given you? See, everything we have comes from God. So a, a steward recognizes whose it is. Secondly, a steward appreciates what has been given, and an owner will say, I've earned it. I've worked. 
I put in my sweat. I put in my hours. So what I have, I've earned it, and it's mine. Well, a steward appreciates what has been given. They recognize, God, this comes from you. And Deuteronomy, actually, Deuteronomy 8.18 actually says this, But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Not only does what we have come from God, but the ability to, to do the work we can do so that we can earn what we earn, so that we can provide for our families and the things we need. That ability to do that comes from God. It all is sourced in God. And so when we're a steward, we live in this position of gratitude and appreciation, being able to say, God, thank you for this job that I have. I don't like the job very much, but thank you for the job I have. Right. Even if you don't like it, you recognize that that provision comes from God. God, thank you for this car that I drive that runs most of the time. God, thank you for this house that I have. God, thank you. I recognize that all of that comes from you and I appreciate it. And you know what happens when we live in this position as stewards of appreciation? You know what that produces in our life? It produces joy. It produces joy. And you know what joy produces in our life? It produces a higher quality of life. When we have joy, recognizing, God, what I have comes from you. God, what I'm able to do comes from you. And we live in that place of appreciation that raises our quality of life. A steward also remembers the purpose for which it is given. And an owner has this idea, I can do with it whatever I want. It's mine. I've earned it. Nobody's going to tell me what I can do with it. But a steward remembers the purpose. That, that what God has given us, everything that, he, that, that comes from him, he's given us to hold in our hands and to be stewards, good, responsible stewards of that. And why does he give it to us? He wants to bless us. And he wants us to bless others. That's what he wants to do with it, what, what he's given us. He wants to bless us because he loves us and he wants us to bless others so we can accomplish God's mission uh, in this world. You see, sometimes I think we get in this place, we get in, we, we have no breathing room in our finances and we, and so, so we start asking God and it's sometimes, frankly, I'll just speak for myself, frankly, it's because of the decisions I made or the way I've managed the finances hasn't been kind of very good stewardship of it. And so we get in this position where we, then we start to say, God, could you just provide me a financial miracle if I could just get a windfall? Anybody ever feel that? If I could just, I don't play the lottery, but maybe just one time if I played, God, would you just let me win? And if I just had the windfall, I'd be really generous. I'd be really good with it. And we're just asking God for this, this miracle. But what he might simply be asking us to do is to be obedient to the daily little things he's already been asking us all along. <laughs> Sometimes the financial miracle in the waiting is us beginning to take God at his word. Sometimes we're saying, God, will you give me a financial miracle? Will you give me a windfall? And God is saying, listen, here's the miracle. Start believing what I've been telling you all along. Start trusting me. You might feel like you don't have enough right now. But what is critical, regardless of how much we have, is this. Are we being faithful in the little? Are we being faithful in the little? Are we placing the high value on the quality of life or are we striving after this certain standard of living that we're just determined to live in that does not allow for breathing, that does not allow for margins in our financial life? See, it's not wrong to get new stuff. 
nothing wrong with having a new home or buying a new car. There's nothing wrong with any of that. This is not to say you should never do any of that. That's, that's not what I'm saying at all. But it becomes damaging to our life when we put such a high value on the accumulation of stuff and such a high value on maintaining a certain standard of living that may be beyond our means. That when that becomes our primary value, that's the kind of thing that begins to suck the life out of our soul. There's three things I know about most of us. Number one, you're living on a percentage of your income. Every one of us is living on a percentage of our income. Now, here's the problem. Most of us don't know what that percentage is. We're living on a percentage of our income, but most of us don't know what it is. Number two, the other thing I know about most of us is this, that you think if I just had a little more, I'd be fine. If I just had just a little more, I'd be fine. I'd be doing okay. But here's the thing. It's the third thing that I know about most of us. You, you felt the same way when you made less. Right? So, so you used to make this much, and you thought, oh, if I just made a little bit more, I'd be fine. Now you're beyond that place you thought you needed to make, and you're making that little bit more, and now you're still thinking, if I just made a little bit more, I'd be fine. Then you get to that place, and you go, Man, if I just I just need one more one more bump and then I'll be over the top. And the problem is not what we're making. The problem is we've not allowed margin there to be margins in our financial picture. Let me let me illustrate this with a little graph. So on the left side, that left side of this graph represents your money on the on the on the uh, bottom line. This line represents the time. Okay, so this this represents your life and your income. So starting on the bottom left here. Uh, you started with a, a little income, and over time, your income continues to increase. In, no, don't put that up yet. So it continues to increase, increase, and increase, right? Now, I know this is theoretical, and this is a really broad generalization, because I know not most of our pictures don't look exactly like this. Some of them look more like this, right? Some of them kind of went up, and then they kind of flatlined. Uh, but just for the sake of our conversation, let's say over the course of your life and over the course of the time, you, you do have an increased amount of income. Now, let's put this next one up, that if we are trying to find margins in our life, so we, our income is at this level, and over the course of time, we manage our spending in such a way so that we're not spending as much as our income. So that space between our income and our spending is what? That's our margin. Okay, that's the margin that, that we can live in. That's the breathing room we can have that allows us to breathe. Here's the problem. Here's where most of us live. Here's where most people in America live. Let's put the next one up. Our income line is really no different than our spending line. There is no margin. We're wondering that if, if I lost my job today, how would I survive next week or next month? Because I have no margin to live in. And so we live in this stress of that, or if I wanted to be able to do something, I don't. I can't do it because I have no margin in my life. And when this happens, you become a slave to your finances. Where instead of us having finances, they have us. Uh, the, the, we become a slave to the credit card company, to the banks, to uh, the financial institutions, to your bills. They begin to rob you of your freedom. They begin to dictate your life. Let me let me try to illustrate this real quickly. JT, where are you? Are you in here? There you are. Come on up here, JT. I have some, excuse me, I have some balloons here. I like object lessons. So, uh, Mike, here's a balloon for you. Okay, you get the pink one. Terry, you get that one. Oh, I got the other one right here in my, 
Jeff, here's yours. Here's a little deflated. Are you a Patriot fan? Is that the... Sorry. Uh, <coughs> sorry, you didn't get that joke. Um, so, yeah, go ahead and have a seat there. So this is JT. Thank you, JT, for, for being here. Um, this, these balloons are going to represent our money. Okay, now we like balloons, right? Balloons are good to have. They, we enjoy them. They're colorful. They bring color into our life. You know, they, they just bring sort of a jubilant uh, attitude. So, so you have these balloons, and if we, if we have them in their proper inflation, <clears throat> they're pretty good. So these balloons are going to represent our money, and when I, when I pump air into this balloon, you can just hear the pain in the balloon. When I, when, I, when I pump air into the balloon, it begins to stretch the capacity of that money, right? So this, this, this balloon has a certain amount of capacity to hold for the stuff we want to use it for. So we want to buy something. It puts a little more stress on the finances, but it's still within the capacity. You, you have it within the right capacity. It's okay. still fun to have, still usable, still manageable. When you start pumping it a little bit more, a little bit more, and you say, you know what? That kitchen needs an upgrade. I'm going to put a little more into that. You know what? My car, it's two years old now. It's kind of getting worn out. I probably need to, uh, I probably need to add a new really large lease and buy another car. So uh, we pump a little more. And so what happens is this thing starts to get strained. We think, oh, man. These clothes are, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of out of date. I'm kind of out of touch. So I need to stretch this a little more. And we put more and more pressure by the stuff we think we need to maintain the certain standard of living. It starts putting pressure on that. And then we go to Scripture, and we read the Scripture, and the Scripture says uh, all of these things that we can do with what God has entrusted to us, right? Like being able to give. And so uh, the scripture says, give and it will be given to you. And you, we read that scripture and we think, oh, man, I'm, I'm going to be able to do that. But when we think about the possibility of doing that, maybe a need comes up. We see something come up on Facebook. Somebody's really going through something. And we feel prompted that we, we want to be able to give and help that person. But what we have to do, because we're starting to stress out our financial picture so much, we have to consult with our bills and we have to consult with our debt to see if we can do the very thing that God is asking us to do. And so instead of saying, okay, God, yes, I'll be obedient, we say, hey, financial company, hey, bills, hey, visa, hey, credit card, can I do this? And we keep, we keep putting more air in this. We keep, keep piling more resources and keep stressing our finances a little more. And we come across scriptures that say, you know what? <coughs> Excuse me. Why don't you give a little bit of your uh, time? Why don't you serve some people? So some opportunities come up to, to serve somebody, to help maybe somebody move on a given Saturday. Because, it, you know, you just feel like you want, to re- you want to do that because you love those people. But in order to maintain your standard of living, you, you have to work extra jobs to be able to pay for the things that you got in your life. And so you don't have any time to be able to give to serve something because you're trying to maintain a certain standard of living. And you just keep pumping this up and you keep pumping this thing up and you keep pumping this thing up and you keep maxing out your capacity. And then you come across scriptures like Pastor Mike with all of the nerves that he has read to us last week and said, don't worry. Don't worry about your life, about what you shall eat, about what you shall drink. Don't you know your heavenly father need, knows you need all these things? So we look at that scripture and it says, don't worry. Don't worry. 
worried because I think this thing could blow at any time. God, how do you want me to live with this attitude of not worrying? But I'm always worried that this thing at any moment because of what I've put into it and because of how I've maxed it out. How are you feeling right now? Right? Right now you're worried that this thing's going to blow up in JT's face. That's the stress we feel. And that's what our finances start to feel like. And then we have conversation. We, then the time of the, to, of the month comes to pay the bills. We don't want to be anywhere around whoever in our home is having to make those choices because it's a terrible time. Because our finances are maxed out and we're stressed out. And we read this scripture that says, don't worry. What do you mean, God? And, and we have to ask our finances, can I not worry? No, you can't not worry. Look at me. I am stressed out to the max. Here's the sick thing. Some of you want this to blow. You're thinking, just raise the debt ceiling. You know, in the ten times I practiced this, it never got this large. And now I can't hear. Thank you, JT. That's how we feel, though. Isn't that the pressure we feel in our finances when we have no margin? It's always this wonder, when is this thing going to blow? When is this thing going to fall apart? How long am I going to be able to maintain this? And when you want to do something, you you have to ask, not God. You have to ask your credit card company or your bank account or your whoever you're indebted to. And you can't be the kind of you can't live out the kind of life that God wants you to live out. Uh, You can't be the free people he wants you to be. You can't be the kind of generous person that he desires you to be and you want to be. And if you can't do it, you look at it, you can't do it because Visa won't let you or your bank won't let you or your debt won't let you. You've let money be your master. And the scripture goes on in verse 13 and says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. See, money itself is neither good nor bad. Some people get it mixed up. Uh, and they get that scripture and, and they say, money is the root of all evil. That's not, that's not true. That's not what the scripture says. The love of money is the root of all evil. Money is simply a means of exchange between one person and another person to accomplish some purpose. In some cultures, societies, they don't even use money. They don't need bills and cash, of course. They barter. So, so somebody will have a bunch of chickens and they'll raise chickens and they'll trade their five chickens for some grain. Right? And so that doesn't mean the chickens are the root of all evil. Right? Now, if they accumulate all those chickens and they put a high value on chickens and all their life is devoted to the accumulation of chickens, then the love of chickens could become the root of all evil. But it's not money itself that is evil. It is, it is giving ourselves so much to the love of it so we can maintain the certain standard of living where we have no margins. It keeps us from allowing the Lord to be the Lord of our life. 
Listen to the power of this verse, Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. You see the connection there? Look at that verse again. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. That reminds me, my dad always says this. He says, want what you have. Sometimes we want what we don't yet have. And we keep striving after what we don't have. My, the things that I've learned from my dad, want what you have. And that's not just true of this, your possessions. It's true of your relationships. Want what you have. And he says, keep your lives, lives free from love and money. Be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you nor will I forsake you. You don't have to be uh, given to the love of money because God loves you. God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. God is your provider. God is your source. So what do we, what do, we do with this? Let me give you some quick things, really simple things, um, things you probably already know, but things that I need to be reminded of, honestly, things I need to be reminded of. And I'm reminding myself of these things as I perhaps remind you of these things. First thing we need to do is believe again. You just need to believe again. You need to believe that God is who he says he is. You need to believe that God's promises are true need to believe that God is your provider and God is your source. You need to believe that when you put God's principles in motion, that it works and it is for your freedom and not so you can be enslaved. And I recognize something, that sometimes we've lost that element of faith because of things that have gone wrong in our life. Maybe we were trying to be faithful to God. Maybe we were trying to do the right thing. Maybe we were, we were trying to be obedient to Him. And some circumstance or something went wrong or some relationship went sideways or we lost something or we lost a job along the way or something. And so we thought, God, I was trying to do the, the right thing. I was, I, was, I was trying to be faithful to You and... And things didn't turn out the way I want. I, I get that, that sometimes hurt causes us to question whether or not God is faithful. Let me just remind you. I know that, that just words maybe not don't solve the problem, but we go back to the Word of God. And, that is, and the Word of God is true, and God is faithful. He will never leave you, and He will never forsake you. His principles are true. His promises are true. So some of you need to come out from that place, position of hurt, where you've said, God, I tried that once, and, and I, I, it didn't go the way I want, so I'm just going to see this now in finances as mine. I'm going to do what I want with it. I'm going to make it work on my own. That's going to leave you with no breathing room and no quality of life. So believe again. Secondly, very practical. Decide on a breathing room goal. What's your goal going to be? If you don't pick one, the culture will pick one for you. So are you going to live at 90% of your income? Are you going to live at 95? Are you going to live at 80%? Decide on a breathing room goal and set that goal and, and live on that goal. Third, document what you're doing. Take a couple of months. Document everything that you spend, every penny that you spend, and just document where is it going where is it going where is it going because i believe that we owe it to our heavenly father as uh, as the one who owns it all to know how we are spending what he has entrusted to us and part of the problem in our culture we don't even know where we're spending our money we get to the we get to the time to pay the bills and we go where did all of our money go it seemed like we should have had enough but how come we're keep running short because we don't really know what's happening number four cut your spending there are two ways to accomplish this right Number one, cut your spending. Number two, raise your 
No, your debt ceiling. No, don't raise your debt ceiling. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Don't raise your debt ceiling. That's the way of the government. Um, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Cut your, cut your spending. Cut your spending. Listen, I want is better than I owe. I want is better than I owe. You might want some stuff. And that's okay. You know what? Actually, the, in a study done by the Journal of Consumer Research, it's scientifically true that there's more satisfaction in the desiring of the thing than in the attainment of that thing. And we can see that at Christmas with our kids, right? They get so excited about this thing they want. Oh, they're waiting, waiting, waiting. There's excitement. It's brewing. It's brewing. Christmas comes. They got it. And then the next day they're like, okay, where's the next thing? Right? We do the same thing. So we, we've got we've to cut our spending. Christmas is coming. Please don't give in to the consumer barrage to cause you to spend way beyond your capacity. Don't give in to that. Conspire against it. And number five, develop a debt retirement plan. Figure out a way to retire your debt. How do you do that? Well, let me, let me tell you how I'm going to give you the advice to do that. There's a guy named Dave Ramsey who has some great advice. He actually stole this idea from Larry Burkett. And he adapted it. And so now I'm adapting that. So um, it's called the debt snowball. And you can, if you can just begin to retire your debt. And I, what I've done is we've printed out some, some worksheets that they'll be available at each door on the way out. It's a very simple process that'll tell you here's how you can get out of debt so you can create some breathing room in your life. Very practical way to create some breathing room in your life. Listen, for most of us, the chief competitor for our heart is not the devil. It is our stuff. Now, the devil will use that. Of course, we know ultimately he'll use that. So we've got to figure out a way to continue to make sure that Jesus is the Lord of our life. God wants to be the Lord of our life. And he is good. He's a good, good father. It's who he is. He wants the best for you. He wants you to be able to breathe in this. He doesn't want this to be a source of stress and strain. He wants there to be margins. God wants life for us. Money will never give us that. And so we may need to lower our standard of living to raise our quality of life. So when God asks us to do something out of his word, we don't have to consult the the money. We can say, God, I want to be obedient to you and I'm going to do it because we have breathing room to be able to be obedient to him. Amen. Father, I pray that you would just instill this truth in our hearts, not only in our hearts, but into our will and action. Lord, this has been such a problem in our country. This has been such a problem in the church. It's been such a problem in so many individual lives that creates strain and stress and keeps us from the kind of freedom you want us to live in. So God, would you bring us to that place of freedom? Give us breathing room in the area of finances so we can be obedient to the things when we read in Scripture that you ask us to do, to give, to live as generous people, to not worry, to not stress out. God, would you do that in every person in this room? We pray this in Jesus' name. so much pastor chris for challenging us we're taking notes and uh gonna fight that battle uh this holiday season i appreciate it so much